Hello and welcome to episode 42 of Q&A Quest. The meaning of Q&A Quest. That's right. I'm your host, Mike Apps, a.k.a. Wheels, and with me as always... I am feeling fat and sassy. Also, fanboy master, David, what else? <laughs> and... I'm, I'm happy for anyone that knows what I'm referencing there. <laughs> and we have a good deal of questions, which we're going to have to try and go through quickly, because this is recording pretty late at night. Um, and also, Wheels is once again chasing the unicorn of a short show. Yes. <laughs> and to make things worse, I have to start this show with a rant. Oh, man. Where are we starting here? You done let me down, Internet. So recently... Uh, Don't let me down. NIS America had a press event whereby they announced... Oh, uh, a number of titles that they will be releasing this year. Some were surprising. Uh, what the hell is the name of that series? Cladoon? Cla- not Cladoon. You're not surprised by that. Yeah. Um, uh, something with a C. The board game, card game thing. Uh, Culpsep. Thank you. Why that do I thing. know that? I hate everything it stands for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think they also announced new Don- uh, like new Danganronpa V3 for American release, which is important. Please, yeah. per- please play Danganronpa. And also, in, in addition, addition to that board game, card game thing for 3DS, uh, RPG Maker for 3DS, which is neat. I can't even imagine how that functions. <laughs> Oh, and they're also gonna. There's also gonna be an app you can download on the eShop to play RPGs people make. Okay, that's actually that pretty neat. Suddenly, yeah. that actually has yeah. some sort of value. See, that's that's pretty cool. Because, like, I remember having RPG Maker on the PS One. Like, why did that get localized? I don't know. Like, that was the worst possible venue for it. Like, there was no yeah. way to. It, uh, just what do baffling. I do with this? Hey, I made an RPG. Here's my memory card. I made this. Please don't delete my save. Of Please do not Final blow Fantasy. up my RPG out of a... Like, you wouldn't be able to fit a, another save on a memory card you would That's true. used. Like, it needed an entire memory card by itself. So really, please don't blow up the thing I just made in a fit of peach. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so, the shocking announcement of the presentation was the fact that they will be localizing East 8. Lacrimosa of something? Lacrimosa yes. of Dama. Um, Which is surprising and also not surprising if you look at uh, the workload of our dear friends Exceed. Um, Cold Steel 3 is probably something that they already have to just like set aside. Like They don't have it yet, but it's like we can't be working on other things. Yeah. So I, I really feel for Exceed because in addition to, you know, like many of us, really appreciating their work, they actually employ several Falcom superfans. Yeah, like you can feel the love of Falcom that emanates from everything about the choices Exceed makes. Oh, they're also translating Trails the Third. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah. hey! And maybe, maybe, hopefully one day they will also be translating the ones we, we missed. So, you know, a lot of trails, and every trails is a giant nightmare. Yeah, uh, so, uh, I'm, they're, I, I'm sure they'll play, have plenty of Falcom stuff to work on, in addition the, to the, to the, uh, the fact that they're just super busy. Like I saw, um, uh, one of the co-owners of our site... Miss Anna posting on Twitter about just how absurdly busy they are, and you know. Oh wow. 
uh, with, you know, just like marvelous games. And, you know, I was thinking about this, just looking yeah, at like... something you wouldn't expect to be uh, super difficult in uh, the uh, Fate game that came out recently, which is a Muto. Uh, but from what I've played of it, it's actually, like, very text-heavy. Yeah, I'm not sure if you've ever, uh, well... I'm not. I'm not going to speak too much on my opinions of the Fate franchise, but I'm not sure if you've ever seen where Fate, like where everything is tentacling, tentacling off of in Fate. But it was a visual novel. Yeah, uh, so that makes yeah. sense. And yeah, there's a lot of story in that game. So yeah, uh, like Kinoko Nasu, he uh, he sure writes a lot. <laughs> And I don't think that he's involved in all of the tentacle spin-off, many tentacle spin-offs, but like it's a an inherited trait for the rest of the series. Nice. But yeah, um, they busy. Yeah, and also like even just like they probably got at least one story of seasons games they're also working on, which yeah, uh, story of seasons trio of towns, the sequel to Five Tale. Is it a tale of two towns? I forget what the heck it was called. Something two towns. It involved two towns. <laughs> but yeah, it's one of those things where it's like... it. It's not just that they have a lot of projects, but that I can't think of a project they have that isn't incredibly text-heavy. Yeah. And really, this brings a lot more context to the fact that uh, Axis is working on Tokyo Zandadu. Um, and, you know, obviously Falcom's profile in the West has been increasing in recent years, so... I'm, I'm glad to see them at least get a cult audience in the West. Yeah. And really, they don't want any of these titles to be, you know, left behind. So, uh, it's disappointing as an Exceed fan, but, you know... Uh, I'm glad we're getting it at all. Like there, there is a period. Like imagine me ten years ago thinking, is anyone going to take take a chance on Issei? Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm not really worried at all. I haven't really had any problems with uh, Nest America's recent localizations. Uh, I love the story and the localization of Disgaea Five. We'll ignore other elements of it for now. Listen, you're going to have to talk about it again when it yeah. when complete comes out on the Switch in May. <sighs> But yeah, so my rant in this whole matter is just uh, just the absurd reactions I've seen myself and heard of, of just, you know, absolute stupidity is all I'm going to describe it as. Absolute, okay, then. complete stupidity. <laughs> I don't, I'm not plugged into the same thing that you are. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I obviously saw people complaining, oh my god, it's going to be censored. Oh, censorship. Not- what on earth would you censor? It's East. I have no idea, but I guess people are still mad because Criminal Girls got censored? Because, you know... I think Sony uh, would have had something to say to that yeah. if they had censored it. Yeah, they would have. But, um, uh, but yeah, my, my my broader thing would be, like, they they have left Danganronpa almost entirely unmolested, which is already kind of a big deal, so... Yeah. Like, you know... That's, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but beyond that, just complaints of, um... It's like Atlas with Dungeon Traveler, too. It's like, they they let through as much as they can, but, like, the American arms of all these companies have stricter ideas about how much of a high school girl's, like, boobs you can show in a video game. Yeah. Uh, We've 
we've discussed this in the show before, and like I yeah, said, so let's then, not go too far. No, into that. like I said then, and I'll say now, if you are mad that your digital boobs are getting censored, complaining to the publishers bringing those games over is barking up the wrong tree. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of space between here and there, and I'm sure that there are like. Basically, everyone in that company, but especially their social media manager, would very much like it if they could just release it and not have to think about it, because Absolutely. then they wouldn't have to get yelled at for the next three years. Yeah. But, I mean, in addition to that, I just saw people like wanting to boycott the game, complaining about Nis America's localization quality, which, as we've just discussed, um, where were all the complaints about the localization quality in Denkin Rapa? Because yeah, I haven't I, seen them. I, I've seen them, but they're mostly from people that read like either the fan translation or the let's the something awful let's play from before the official localization. So they're usually people that are hung up on like, well, the translation I read translated it this way, and it's like, yeah, well, words in between languages aren't one to one, and you can oftentimes translate a sentence two different ways and retain all of its meaning. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, no, it's just like. If I had, it, it, like, my only issue with Nissa's localizations is they sometimes cheap out on QA, but that hasn't been something that's I've experienced in, I think the last time I recall it being an issue was, like, this guy at two Dark Hero days on PSP, so... That was a while that, ago. That, that dates that pretty heavily just yeah. by saying what it is. <laughs> I've seen complaints about their PC ports, but... Um... You know, I'm not sure how much money they're even putting into those right now. I, I would also point out that uh, it would, if there is a PC version of East 8, I think they announced one. They did. Then it's probably being made by Falcom and not yeah. a contract, whatever developer that Nisa would contract their PC yeah. ports to. I mean, that's not really their, that hasn't been their jam for a while, but I'm sure they still have talented PC developers in house. It's also just the advantage of the people who made it are the ones doing the porting. Yeah. Which can have a significant, like, you, you remove a barrier of, like, interpretation about what it's supposed to be. Um, but I guess also what's interesting about the timing of this is, um, obviously, the PS. PS4 version isn't actually out in Japan yet, so that means that they're kind of probably working on the localization while working on that. Yeah, which is kind of good news for the uh, you know the QA process. So good news for people who love bad news right now. Uh, but yeah, no, like I, I suspect that that game will come to America pretty much entirely unmolested, both in content and in. Uh, and in like quality, so yeah. So I'm I'm not terribly concerned. So dear internet, <laughs> chill the fuck out. The yeah. internet has been told that hundreds of times, and it has never stopped the internet from interneting. Like it's it's true, but I just I I feel like, like niche RPG gamers in particular have started to overreact is the best way I could put it. Started to? Man, we started our entire friendship based on reacting to people overreacting. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, what the hell am I thinking? Forgetting all those years of ridiculous tales. It's it's terrible to think that like I can point, pinpoint like, oh yeah, we started our friendship because we were both la like one of the things that started was like, ha ha ha, these people are still like furious about Vesperia PS3. <laughs> and they still are. 
No, it, sure. no, it's been fan. It's been fan translated now. That's why. Why? Well, it happened, and like the one person I was talking to who was furious about it was like, "Yeah, I played it. It's not actually that interesting." <laughs> uh, Good times. So, um, I guess I'm wasting my time. And nice of the rant table. Yeah, the the internet's going to continue to overreact. I just please overreact to slightly more constructive things. I guess. Well, it's not really constructive to overreact. That's why it's overreacting rather than merely so, reacting. So here's here's what the reaction sh- should have been: send send a some sort of condolence and appreciation note to Xseed and leave it at that, and then commit to still buying the game from uh, NAS America because the series needs your support in here. I don't want to hear that. Oh, you'll boycott it and then it'll magically go back to Xseed because that is just stupid. <laughs> Support the damn series here, because if we yeah. if we miss the next East because this one doesn't sell well, which I, I, I honestly think uh, this is a lot of noise from a small number of people, as it oh yeah, well is. that's that's always the case. It's like we're always reacting to like the people who both care the hardest, but also like have you know like a lot of time to talk about caring about us. Yeah. Uh, well, I, yeah. but sometimes you know there is backlash, and uh, it doesn't work. It does, it's not always the the fact. It's not. It doesn't always prove true that it was the quietest people. So deeply, it does deeply excited. Me. Deeply excited for the East Five remake and the East Eight engine that will inevitably occur. Yeah, what's what's heartening to me is the fact that that's on PS4. So it's, you're not. You're not selling it to like this small audience that may uh, actually boycott a game. Yeah, uh, no. Like uh, being this on will, PS4, this will do fine. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of East on PS4, East Origins on PS4. By the time you're listening really to the show, so that should that will be nice. Uh, Origins. It's like. Uh, Ark of Napishtim and Oath and Felgana, but not because Adol is gone. Yeah. Uh, so long story short, buy East from whoever. Like I don't, I don't care if Konami buy East from your local bootleg dealer. If Konami, Konami somehow magically releases the ne- localizes the next East for some reason, you are going you mean to like buy they it did for six. Yeah, you are going to buy it and you are going to like it because it's like East said, and the series needs support. Like I said, you mean like they did with six? Yes. I wasn't sure how many people remembered that PS2 E6 was localized by Konami. And it's kind of a trash localization. It's not great. No. Like, Konami only ever hired decent localizers for, like, uh, MGS. That's basically it. Yeah. But, you know, in addition to just support E, support these niche publishers, because there's a lot of cool people working there who put in long hours... And really don't get enough uh, appreciation. You know, okay, filibuster over. Let's get some get yes, filibuster questions. over. You know. filibuster over on this very short episode. The last this filibuster lasted ten minutes. By E eight, don't. And you know. Ask me about East. Ask me about East. Don't ask me about Mugen Souls. Too late. I'm asking you about why you always pronounce it Mugen Souls rather than Mugen Souls. Because I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. All right. We're, okay, let's get to the actual questions from actual people and not me answering my own question. <laughs> yes, your own question. Happy birthday. I don't know when your birthday is. I always forget. Happy birthday, Lisa. Lisa, it's... Okay, a Mad Musa would at least make running the ball interesting again rather than passing it 95% of the time. I'm not a fan of Legend of Drag... What? <laughs> Did he just jump right from Madden into Legend I of think, Dragoon? I think, we, I think we discussed Legend of Dragoon <laughs> in some offhand fashion because a few people mentioned it. I, it's, it's, I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, it's a question about our crazy Madden idea, but no, it jumps straight into Legend of Dragoon. Okay. Listen, I'm looking forward to when frickin' Kongol from Legend of Dragoon joins the NFL. I'm also not a fan of Legend of Dragon for many reasons. Are there any games that you hated the character designs of, regardless of how you felt about the game itself? Hmm. That's a pretty good question, and I wish I'd read it more than ten minutes before we started the show. <laughs> uh, uh, I get a good one. Uh, the um, Vandal Hearts game that came out on like PSN. Flames of Judgment. Yes, thank you. Why do I? Why do I know this? I hate me. <laughs> But yeah, no, that's an what? Ugly, you, ugly game. You know, you know all the games whose names I can't remember. Speaking of really, really <laughs> ugly tactical RPGs, Suicode and Tactics. Yeah. Although I'm not sure if that's the character designs. I don't remember if I've ever looked up what the actual character artwork is supposed to look like because it's just everyone's an indiscriminate blob of color. <laughs> but yeah, that Vandal Hearts, and yeah, honestly, kind of the original to some extent as well. They, they were not the prettiest games, but, but hey, you could stab a skeleton and it would explode in a shower of blood. Yeah, but they were perfectly good tactical RPGs, and yeah, no, they really bothered me too much. I remember, I remember but... never being able to find a copy, seeing like the archive review of them in official PlayStation magazine, and then forgetting whether Vandal Hearts or Vanguard Bandits were the same game. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I eventually played them. They are good. Uh, I'm trying to think, like, uh, this is cheating, because it's only kind of an RPG, but it's in that sort of roguelike territory, and it's not really the character designs, it's the art as a whole. But, and this is also something that has been discussed to death in my circles of the internet. Binding of Isaac is the ugliest game I've ever seen. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Like, intentionally so, but to a point where I just don't even want to play it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to no look at no it. I have no idea, like, I, I generally, like, if something's roguelike -y, like, adding in that action element is a way to pull me in, because it's like, well, even if I get bad drops, I can still do something. But, like, the ugliest game, the ugliest, most off-putting game. Uh, character designs, though... Like, I kind of overlook a lot of... Like, I see a lot more, like, generic I-don't-even-remember-this designs more than designs I hate. Yeah. Uh, like, I, my brain's just sort of casting down for, uh, like, characters that are hideous-looking. The entire cast of Beyond the Beyond looks ugly as hell, but also it's Beyond the Beyond, so that wasn't what turned me away. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like, I'm trying to... Th I can't really think of any that, like, the character designs were super, uh, super, like, hideous in a game that I otherwise really, really liked. Any RPG on Saturn looks like complete butt now, and it's hard to look at. Does that That's count? That's because everyone's a cuboid, man! 
Like, that's not their fault. That's the Saturn's, like, low resolution mixed with deciding that the base primitive should be a polygon. It should be a square. And you should see those, like, very first NVIDIA graphics cards that were like, yes, Saturn. Those are, uh, those are priceless. Ugh. They have, Sa- they have Sega Saturn controller ports hanging off of them. Gross. It's amazing, but you can play Panzer Dragoon, so it's fine. Uh, oh, Panzer Dragoon. What a good game. What a beautiful game. Why isn't that available on everything? Why Can we all just, like, as, as a species, just commit to making a good Saturn emulator so that everyone can play Saturn <laughs> games? Well, there was a PC version of that, too. Yeah, that's what the, that was the thing that brought it up. But I mean, still, like, I don't want to just play Panzer Dragoon. I want to play Panzer Dragoon Saga. I want to play yeah. Die Hard Arcade. I want to play Dragon Force. I want to play Dark Savior, even though Dark Savior's terrible. <laughs> I finally got rid. I finally freed myself of my copy of, <laughs> of Dark Savior. Yeah, Dark Savior's crazy. It's just like, hey, what if ten minutes into the game, the game just split off and never returned returned to where it started. <laughs> It's funny, I at least recently pruned my Saturn collection, which was mostly just like, why do I still own Resident Evil for the Saturn? Stupid. Because it was the only one with the battle minigame. <laughs> Ugh. That's a super, like, that's a super influential minigame, surprisingly. It's sort of like how, like, the mercenaries, Operation Mad Jackal, uh, in Resident Evil 3. Like, Resident Evil 3's game design didn't influence much of the later games, except for the ammo mixing system, which fi- found its way into RE7. But, like, the battle minigame is basically the beginning of, like, Extreme Battle, and then, like, the Mercenaries itself is kind of an ev- evolution of that. Like, all that stuff kind of traces itself back to the Saturn version of Resident Evil 1. Hmm. But it still looks like butt. Oh, it definitely looks like butt. Like, yeah. my personal my personal favorite version of Resident Evil 1 is the DS version, because yeah. it's portable. Well, my first favorite version of the non-remade Resident Evil 1. Because that version is portable and has like an entirely unique mansion. So it's it's good. Play it if you if you've never played Resident Evil One. It's a good version. Yeah. And what else did I get rid of? Tomb Raider. Oh yeah, Tomb yeah. Raider. Romance. Histor- historical cu- uh, curiosity. Not much else. Uh, Romance of the Three Kingdoms Four. Which guess get this? The internal Saturn memory does not have enough space to save a game. Wow. Man, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, like, think, think about that. Like, 4, I think, is, might be the one with the most distinct versions, because I think there's, like, a Sega CD version. I'm pretty sure there's a SNES version, PS1 version, Saturn version. Like, there's so many versions of 4 for some reason. Yeah, the PS... I guess it's just when it came out. The PS1 version you can get on PSN, and the Super Nintendo versions on Virtual Console... Now I'm just imagining, what if there was a 32X version? Look at the possibilities. For your Sega CD32X. We've, we've gone afield of the question. Yeah, alright. Next question. I might, try, I might come back to this question if I can think of any before the next episode. Okay. Uh, next question. Then, do we say that last one was from Budai? It was know. from Budai. I don't think we mentioned it, but okay. it, it was from Budai, and thank you again for all your questions. And uh, next one is from Gaishin. Fun fact, Japan essentially banned oh, game rentals back in the early mid-80s. This has led to a surprisingly robust second-hand games market that puts GameStop to shame on almost every level. I wish I could 
listen to these stories more often and at a volume to properly hear them, but alas, my best times for listening are while baby's asleep. Aww. I hear you, man. Okay, I would also like to point out that uh, Romance of the Three Kingdoms 4 came out for the 3DO. It did come out for the 32X. Nice. It came out for DOS. It came out for the FM Town. <laughs> Wait, there's a Dreamcast version of that. You're lying to me, Wikipedia. There is no way that there is a Dreamcast version of Romance of the Three Kingdoms 4. I bet you... What? But hey, you could also play it on Windows 3.1. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, I've heard tales of the uh, of the utterly terrifying uh, Japanese used game industry and like the way that it like creates this situation where like when you buy a game, you're almost investing in your ability to finish it quickly because you can flip a game if you can flip a game fast, it's not going to lose a ton of its value. <laughs> But yeah, that's that's of course all all secondhand information. But like a fascinating like change where like every game is subject to a curious like supply and demand. So it's like okay, well if everyone's already returned a copy of this, you're not getting jack for it. <laughs> Which really can only be seen as reflective of uh, reflected in the U.S. game market when everyone returns last year's sports game. Yeah. Like, oh man, I tried to trade in uh, Madden 11, and they're like, no, we don't take that anyway anymore. Yeah, no, like the it doesn't surprise me. It's like selling an old sports game's impossible. Yeah, like unless it's like NBA Street or like NBA Jam, like a, an arcade football, an arcade sports game. I'm sorry, all the arcade sports games I played are, are NBA games. <laughs> uh, but uh, like, you can't you can't sell a dated sports game. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Well, I'm holding on to my NHL game for Saturn because it still has the Whalers in it. Some, some fandoms never die. <laughs> True, man. They'll be back. They'll be back in a different state. They'll be back. You shut are up. You, are you going to root for them when they're, when they're in a different state? Well, I mean, they already are. They're just not called the Whalers anymore. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, someone will start up a Whalers, and then they will they will be started up in your, in, like, where they were, and then they'll be traded someplace else and renamed oh, again. Oh, I see what you're doing here. That's, that's just wrong. It's wrong, man. That, that has happened in the past with sports franchises. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to sell the Albuquerque isotopes. There have been three different uh, MLB teams in Washington, D.C. now. Oh wow! But that's not an RPG. Uh, but yeah, no, I would like to visit to to just sort of look at a Japanese used game store once, just to see like the kind, the amount of product that apparently just sort of shoots in and out of them. <laughs> oh, that would be fascinating to see. Yeah. Uh... Would have been interesting to see all the people uh, frantically trying to discard their copies of poor Final Fantasy Thirteen. Imagine all the people wondering why th what uh, they were going to do now that they'd hit chap chapter eleven. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Is that all we got for that? Like it wasn't really a question. Yeah. It's really only that we comment on. All right.
Next up from Budai. Uh, just another comment from Budai. This one guy I knew in the early 90s was very versed in gaming stuff that most weren't. He told me once that Japanese gamers would play RPGs as quick as possible. Did you already read this? Or did you say just say something no. similar to this? No, no. We we have not already read this. We read okay. we read down all the question all the comments in the thread before we started, so that might also be what you're thinking. Okay. Uh but yeah would play RPGs as quick as possible to sell them compared to Americans who liked long RPGs or took their time. Don't know if that's true if that was true then or now. And then he has a question. If you were in charge of explaining to a future generation where Sega went wrong, what would you consider their main moment or moments that led to their downfall? Uh, oh, boy. Now, let me give you a long list of, of hardware boondoggles that existed in the mid-90s. Like the, That's probably the first step, and then right around the... Uh, everything to do with, like, the Saturn... Like, the writing was on the wall with the Saturn the second that they were like, yes, we will make the ultimate 2D machine. Wait, all of our competitors are making 3D machines. What were we thinking? Let's talk now let's about staple on another processor. Also, base primitive squares. Let's talk about the Tower of Power. Oh man, let's not talk about the Tower of Power. Or staple the Tower danger. that lacks power. Boom. Okay, you put you put your set you you put your Model One Genesis on top of your Sega CD, and then you put on top of that you put your 32x. And inside of that, you put a Game Genie. And inside of that, you put a Sonic Sonic and Knuckles cart. And then inside of that, you put a Sonic and Knuckles cart. And then inside of that, you put a Sonic and Knuckles cart. And then inside of that, you put a Sonic 3 cart. And then on top of that, you glue... (laughs) On top of that, you glue an N64 cartridge for no reason. (laughs) And then try and turn it on. It's like 96 bits now. It should work. 96 bits. It can play Super Superman 64. Finally, running at the frame rate, frame rate it was meant to. Uh, but yeah, no, the, the other thing is, and, and this is the thing that, like, the thing about it is that, like, Sega, Sega's mismanagement feels much like WCW in a lot of ways. And, like, this is a wrestling analogy, so, sit, so buckle up, folks. Uh, WCW could make or lose as much money as it wanted to and not really care as long as Ted Turner was in power. And the second that Ted Turner was no longer in power, WCW got killed. Mm-hmm. The second that it lost money. Uh, so Sega had a rich Uncle Sega, a rich Uncle Billionaire who was like, yes, I will bankroll all of your miserable failures. I think I've ranted about him on this show before, Isao Okawa. It's not a coincidence that like a week after Sega pulled out of the hardware business, Isao Okawa died. Like, you could not convince me that this was not a situation where he's like, guys, I'm not going to live much longer. I can't keep bankrolling all of your failures. (laughs) It's like he bought like millions and millions of dollars of their debt and just forgave it. Wow, like it's it's ridiculous. So like, really, as with many things where someone has too much money, uh, the answer is that they had too much money because someone else had way, way, way too much money. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like there's like that. That's 
that story could be dissected from like a million different ways. Was it? Did they spread the brand thin by releasing like a million variants of every piece of hardware? I could probably name you nine different things that came out during the Genesis's lifespan that could play Sega Genesis games. Was that a? Did that help? Did that hurt? Was that even a factor? Who knows? But I mean, like you could play Sega Genesis games on your Mega Jet or your. Uh, your Pioneer Laser Active that you've ham-fistedly shoved the badly functioning Genesis pack into. <sighs> Video games. Yeah. There's like it's such a it's such a many-tiered like some t- like you know they made some good choices with the Dreamcast, but it was too little, too late. And also, they completely bungled the Saturn. Yeah, like the Saturn is host to so many good games, but like every, th- it didn't deserve to be the host to as much good as it was. <sighs> but hey, I can still play my copy of Johnny Bazooka Tone on it. Don't play Johnny Bazooka Tone. But why Just not? Because it's a garbage, garbage platformer. Also, it lied about where it came from. It's published by U.S. Gold. You'll never guess where U.S. Gold was based. The U.K. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? U.S. Gold was originally a publishing label for microcomputer games that, like, the idea was like, oh, we're bringing you the best of what the U.S. produces on old, like, Commodore 64. That's so confusing, yeah. Nothing yeah. makes sense they, they quickly They quickly abandoned that, which meant, means that their name was a lie like a year in. <laughs> U.S. Gold, I believe, ultimately got eaten by, like, IDOS at some stage. It was weird. It was weird. They were a subsidiary of some other company. It, uh, uh, I apologize for going on this tangent. No, it's fine. Well, it's it's not completely off, to- off topic it's mostly off topic okay fine don't don't play Johnny Bazooka Tone play I don't know Dragon Force mm, Dragon Force yeah. it's, yeah. it's it's like, primary, it, like, to, it's to the one the, I don't have to, uh, the one that got away yeah it's the one that got away but, let's, but to lay down the law, the, the primary vectors of failure is the 32X. Like, the Sega CD, they could have gotten away with 32X. Made no yeah, sense. Vector. 32X. Yeah. It wasn't really known for vector graphics, but okay. I uh, just remember playing, uh, was it the Star Wars arcade game on 32X? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, following the 32X up with Saturn... Like, can you imagine if they had successfully released the Sega Mars that they'd... No, wait, the Mars was the 32X, the Sega Neptune, which was going to be a Genesis and 32X in one. Imagine if they had actually successfully released that object. (laughs) But, like, 32X... uh, 32X and Saturn was really a one-two punch that killed all consumer confidence. Like, it's impressive to, like... You know, they they weren't in the lead at the end of the 16-bit era, but they had carved out an impressive market share given where they'd started. And they just flushed it all away so quickly. And, like, really, after that, given the amount of money they had... Given the amount of bath they had already taken on both of those, and, like, Isao Kawa's death, like, it was over. It didn't matter what they made after that. Like, 
the Dreamcast was going to need to spend its entire lifetime rebuilding consumer confidence. Like, imagining an alternate alternate universe where, like, the Dreamcast continues on and they continue as a first-party uh, developer. Like, the Dreamcast spends its entire lifetime trying to rebuild consumer confidence and then maybe coming, like, trying to create a Sega, like, loyalist fan base again uh, in, as, like, its successor is coming out. <laughs> And it was quickly going to find itself like just dominated from like a technical perspective. Oh, yeah. Where I'm like, I'm curious how what that would have looked like. Would would developers have even attempted the kind of ports they would have needed to? And like, what would those ports have looked like? Imagine Grand Theft Auto San Andreas getting ported to the Dreamcast. I cannot imagine that. <laughs> Sorry, Dreamcast. Like it would have, it would have found itself prohibited by like the GD-ROM medium. Yeah. Just, like the GameCube had issues, and like those GameCube mini discs still hold more than a GD-ROM, significantly, like double. <laughs> I think it's like one point eight gigabits gigabytes instead of one. Something like that. Yeah, like it's it's interesting to sort of think like what would have happened if they had just bullheadedly continued to soldier on. Like I think it most likely would have ended up with them getting sold to some, like them getting hostilely taken over by someone else. Probably. But yeah, it's it's an interesting history to contemplate, but I don't. Yeah, there was there was from the mid '90s there was no writing that ship. Ah, moving on. Um. Alright, where do we got? I lost track of this thread. It's We would be at Gaijin's next okay. time. May still... What is this? Oh, he's talking about the second-hand market. Just a comment. May still run true depending on the game and the market. When Final Fantasy 13 came out, it was fun to track the second-hand price in stores and seeing it suddenly take a nosedive when several million people finished it and sold it back around the same time. That that creates the fascinating situation where, like, since FF13 is so on rails, a first time pl- two first time players are probably going to finish it at around the same time. That's true. <laughs> so that might actually have contributed to that nosedive. <laughs> like the only thing that would really affect like two first time players is like how much difficulty they had with some of the bosses and whether they decided to dick around on Grand Pulse. Yeah. Yeah, like those those slight fluctuations aside, like it's it's interesting to think that like players that were determined to finish the game and sell it back before its price went down would probably all be finishing at the exact same time and probably probably cratered that price really spectacularly. Oh yeah. But yeah, I remember hearing these stories of like, yeah, this is that's available for like a thousand yen. <laughs> Translator's note, a thousand yen would be eh. Just estimate about 10, 11 bucks. <laughs> Whereas, like, because of the way the U.S. used game market works, I think it took the game like four years to reach that price in America. Yeah, it took a while. Uh, yeah. Uh, moving on. Uh, Budai had another question. Where do you think Disgaea, the Disgaea series needs to improve upon in six? Ah, uh, see, this is this this is a softball coming down the center lane for wheels. Yeah, see, I responded, "Oh, I'm gonna 
eat up a lot of time answering this question, but I don't think I'm actually going to answer, take a lot of time answering the question because I think it's pretty simple. Um, I think if, as I've stated in the past, my biggest problem with the Sky Five is kind of it's stepped away from a lot of things that made the series pretty cool, and that being level design, uh, and from, which is from the beginning they've had these like. I always forget the exact terminology, but geo panels and geo blocks, yeah. which basically there's different colored areas on a map, and then usually there's blocks starting on them that cause certain effects if you're in those panels, uh, which have, as the series has, has gone on, have incredibly varied effects, like double. Personal favorite was I think that right near the beginning of the of like Disgaea One, I believe there's a fight that starts out in a situation where. The geo panels are set that like everyone's invincible. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a there's a lot of crazy ones like that. But and then they they so then they expanded to you know the the blocks that cause those effects are like stackable blocks. So then they've had like entire levels made up of nothing but those blocks, which were just absolutely incredible. And you if you go back and play Disgaea Three, some of the levels in that game are crazy. Um. I think this guy four stepped back on the crazy a little bit, but and kind of found a nice balance. And then, um, believe D two um, didn't have like the stackable blocks, which was fine because it's like a throwback to the original game, but still had really cool level designs and did a lot of interesting things to kind of some of the base mechanics. One of the biggest ones was they changed the item world, so instead of starting at some point randomly in the map, you enter the item world on a ship. Huh. Uh, which, uh, you can get new ships and kind of do cool things with that. So you, it kind of changed the whole dynamics, because instead of starting like in the middle of a bunch of crazy panels, you always have this set place to start from and kind of like invade onto the map from there, and it, it is the most fun I've ever had in the item world. And you know, Disgaea 5, as much as I liked the story and a lot of the things they did with the story, like, um, one of the best things that game did was it added, um, I don't want to say, like, tail style, but some style of, like, side conversations you can go to in between battles. And so what that allows them to do is the story sequences before and after battles now are very, very focused on the main story, and a lot of the goofiness that's long been a primary element of the series is relegated to those side stories. So, like, the main story feels so much more focused, and it just worked out all for the better, except that the level designs are incredibly boring. It's like they they took out there's no none of the stackable geo blocks uh very few geo panels they added some environmental effects on some maps that rarely make any difference whatsoever to the point where I often forgot they were even there and it's just the create the create ugh, the creativity isn't there uh a lot of the core mechanics are still in place, which is why I think if I go back. And give it another chance, I think I'll, you know, enjoy it just fine. It's just, they need to get back to that creativity. Like, that's just, <laughs> Disgaea is not, not a run-of-the-mill strategy RPG, so you can't make, 
run-of-the-mill strategy RPG levels. It just it just does not do the the series any justice. <sighs> and that's that. <laughs> but hey, I'm sure we'll have a lot of things to say about this when Disgaea Five Complete drops on Switch. Yeah, and I I don't think they've announced any like additions. I think it's supposed to be just the main game with all the DLC, but. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. That's still, like, that DLC is probably pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, before I talk any more of that, I'm just going to jump right to the next question. This is from Cypher267, who uh, yeah. I think he may have commented on a past episode, but I, I don't recall. It's good uh, to see him. Yeah. He, and he enjoys our tangents, which is always good. Yes, I'm. I'm willing to. I'm willing to listen to anyone who will say that. Yes, it is okay that I just yelled about Madden Moose over ten minutes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but his question is: Do you think that anything can ever be a, a WoW killer in the MMO market? What is it that makes WoW so dominant in the MMO RPG scene? Why are MMOs that that diverge from the set WoW standards quickly, seemingly forgotten? Playing Final Fantasy XIV again and playing through the end game has really had me wondering, especially. Hitting a point where I may be getting bored with the gear treadmill. Thanks. This is a complicated question. Uh, yeah, like unseating WoW. Like we, I think we may have talked about touched on this at some point in the past, but it's always a rich, uh, rich goldmine because WoW remains the closest thing that the MMO market still has to an 800-pound gorilla. Yeah. But uh, it's one of those things where, like, because MMOs are social experience, it's like why, like. What causes like social networks to be unseated? Like it, it's as much like the old one got. Like getting old is a problem, but it's also like ossifies the user base in such a way that it becomes like there's so much here. Why would I leave for another? Yeah, and it's just one of those things where like it's as much just that WoW has been dominant that causes it to remain dominant. And Blizzard has a lot of money to work on advertising, uh, community programs. Yeah, like uh, it'll never be things. the it'll never be the craze that it was in like '07. But like for a lot of people, it's just like, and and this this reaches into the game as service idea that like has slowly encroached into the single player sp- thing though, but also into just as many as many things as it can find its way, like turning that game into like just it's not a game I played like the that one game almost becomes a hobby in and of itself yeah. separate from your hobby of video games yeah look at something like Hearthstone <sighs> <laughs> when we were starting this podcast I was like what, what's holding you up is it Hearthstone and he's like no I'm playing that but that's not what's holding me up <laughs> true story he's probably playing it right now uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so you are. Um, <laughs> but, like, MMOs that diverge from, like, the set WoW standard, like, they're forgotten about as quickly as, like, the ones that aped WoW. Probably even more so, because the ones that aped WoW just get forgotten before anyone even plays them. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, the ones that try to do something different, it's like, well, that's novel, but... Like, all my friends are still playing... Like, of, of any friends that still have time for MMOs, all of them are still playing WoW. Yeah, and I think that's the big thing with MMOs, uh, given how much of a social experience it is. It's not just like, 
you can't just like just go play this other single player RPG. It, like, oh, oh, all my friends are still playing Final Fantasy, but I love this Dragon Quest series. It's like, well, um, the, I really wanted to hang out with my friends. Yeah, and they're all still playing WoW. So I still gotta play WoW. So like, if you want to move to a new MMO, you have to go through the the difficulty of like evangelizing that new MMO like this looks good let's play this for a while yeah and it's like well I've still got like X number of days on my current subscription and then like so I need to cancel that let that lapse and try to and like depending on the MMO like oh well hopefully my if I do decide I want to go back hopefully my character doesn't get deleted and then like just all sorts of like rigmarole like these things are designed to like they get their hooks in you and then at the time you would be most vulnerable to leaving like there's all sorts of incentives to just like at least keep it running yeah and like that that just creates this situation where like even if an mmo is like objectively better and more modern than wow in every single way like it's still going to have the issue of like yeah but i already play wow yeah like very few people have time for to play multiple mmos yeah and that's often the case in lots of different uh, multiplayer-focused games. I think that happens less often in like a first-person shooter because games require a smaller number of people. Games require a smaller number of people. Like they're not really subscription-based usually. Uh, like unless you're trying to really climb through the ranks, you can afford to just sort of like jump to another one when you feel like it. Like yeah. Oh, I feel like, and because the the reward structure, even though like they they have attempted the delayed st- reward structure, and like that's the, uh, or like the con- just keep playing because like you can get this new Overwatch skin or whatever. Like even though they they attempt these delayed reward structure, like for a shooter to succeed, it has to be instantly engaging, right? Or at least near instantly engaging. So it can't really get away with some of the like tricks that MMOs go through to keep you playing a long time. So like if if you can convince someone to play this new shooter for a couple rounds and they enjoy it, it's already like justified itself. Right. Um and because of that, it's it's probably often the case where a new RPG, you know, is neat and interesting as it may be if it gets off to a slow start it may just not recover like that uh, like that happens to single player rpgs all the time too yeah, that's true and like mmo rpgs are like that but on a even longer time scale like okay i'm 10 hours in and i think i understand how everything works now or at least i think i understand how my class works now but like that, that sort of broader thing of like you know, take take what it, the amount of time it takes to get into a single player RPG. Now increase it. Now that like now assume that at least parts of that are supposed to be papered over by the fact that you're playing with pe- other people to like sort of get you over the hump. It's like there's a lot of things that work against getting people into a new MMO, even when they don't have an old MMO to play. Yeah, MMOs are hard. MMOs are really hard. They are. But they're an evergreen subject, so thanks for the question. <laughs> Seriously, that's a good question. Um, yeah, so let's move on to the next question. Another oh, now, now it's my time to shine. 
Oh, and I think this podcast <laughs> casually mentioned Legend of Dragoon as a bad game. Do explain. I remember loving it, or is it truly my nostalgia glasses? RPG, PD, RPG Backtrack should totally do an episode on it. They I'm may have. They There's a lot of episodes of Backtrack. I yeah. cannot claim that they haven't. Uh, I certainly would not know offhand, but they may have. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, I'll, I'll level with you, like, I loved Legend of Dragoon at the time because I think I may have mentioned this at some stage or maybe I mentioned this in a different conversation that wasn't recorded. Uh, I really, really was a big mark for Power Rangers and Legend of Dragoon basically Legend of Dragoon is basically an RPG Power Rangers where everyone's a dragon knight. So like that's like laser targeted at Kid Me. On the other hand, Legend of Dragoon like I like I loved it at the time, and when I play it again, there is a part of me that can still remember loving it. But like at the same time, like there's so there's just a lot of like technical things wrong with it where like I could never really recommend it to another person. <laughs> like the so Legend of Dragoon, in a normal fight you have three actual options. You can attack, defend, or use an item. Uh, like every single fight, you like you don't you don't get the chance to check out of a fight. They all have like kind of normal for the era like battle length, but they're all but almost all of that battle length is taken up on you know making sure you're hitting your additions. Like in as you progress into the game, like not very far in, but still as you progress into the game, you unlock uh, the ability to turn into a dragoon. But that just makes a normal battle longer for the most part. It's not really necessary for non-bosses. Especially because you can only do it for a set number of turns. And in order to increase the number of turns that you can do it, you need to be doing uh, additions so that your SP... uh, Like, you get SP from additions, which the more SP you get in total, the more Dragoon levels you get. Like... So mostly you're just doing the same thing every battle, and like, like the the story is very is pretty generic. Like the you can tell that there were problems with visibility in terms of the backgrounds, like being able to tell where exits were. Like pre-rendered backgrounds were huge at the time, and one of the things that's kind of underrated in certain games is their ability to make pre-rendered backgrounds parsable so that you can instantly tell what is an exit and what is not. And, like, really high-quality games, like, for the most part, like, just about every background, you can look at them and kind of see, okay, that's an exit, that's an exit, that's an exit, that's an exit, and, like, this is how I get from one place to the other. But Legend of Dragoon obviously has visibility problems, and you can tell they figure this out in texting, because they gave you a but like they get they set by default that everything like every uh, exit to a map has a little green triangle that marks it. Like the the pre-rendered backgrounds are very difficult to parse. Like beyond that, like overall, there's just not much to it. Like. It's it's very like it's a very it's a very linear game, which was you know definitely the style of the time, but like there's there's not much like everything's pretty sort of threadbare. Like you go through this area to do the 
uh, to get to the next story point, and then you move on to the next story point. Like, it's all bam, bam, bam. Uh, like I said, there's not much interest in... There's not much strategy in combat or character building. There's not much... Yeah, it's, it's just... It's just kind of a threadbare sort of game. And, like, while I can remember the part of me that still, like, adores it for its aesthetics, like, there's just not much to it that I can recommend. So, yeah, there's my there's my long sort of sad reminiscence on Legend of Dragon. So you're saying it's butt. Kind of? We'll go with kind of. Okay. But, hey, it did have a, la- a character with the last name Slambert. All right, that's pretty cool. That's a great last name, Lavitz Slambert. Uh, but yeah, it's it's. I'm not sure if you've ever played Legend of Dragoon. I have, and I don't remember very much of it other than, dear God, when is this game going to give me more than just regular text? And the answer, as I just pointed out, was basically never. Yeah. Um, oh, I also forgot to mention that I made a friend obsessed with the game. Just, like, the insanity of the game, because I revealed to him that late in the game, there's the point where you have to, like, change the laws of a society in order to be able to complete a quest. <laughs> but, in order to change the laws of the society, you have to, like, go to the council, get them to vote on it, they'll vote yes, then you take it to the law canon and have them fire it out of the law canon in order for it to become <laughs> law. The law canon. <laughs> it's referred to, I believe, in the game as the law launcher. <laughs> and it's the right. most bizarre thing imaginable. That's pretty amazing. Uh... All right. Not much, not much to it overall. I have some concerns about our next question from Budai. What are your concerns? Uh, well, he says, I am really fond of Vesperia as the best JRPG in the last eight years or so. I disagree, but I also don't feel like having that argument, so more power to you. Uh, well, see, I'm very concerned that our good friend, Pudai, who has provided us with many excellent questions, has not played enough JRPGs in the past eight years. You could be there. I could recommend you many, but I will. Uh, if you want us to actually go down this route, Budai, do, t- do tell in the next comment section, because <laughs> we will. <laughs> yes, we will happily probably spend a whole episode going through all the RPGs in the past eight years we think are better than Vesperia. We'll start with the we'll start with the Tales games we like better, which means starting with Grace's F, and then we'll move from there, and yeah. you know, tentacle out. Vesperia is not a bad game by any means. No, it's, it's just, it's it, it never perfect, stood out much to me. It's a perfectly fine game, whether or not you play the terrible PS3 version. There's nothing wrong with the PS3 version, regard disregarding like disregarding any other like thought process. It's just like it wasn't really worth holding a torch over. My God, what a torch! Uh, yeah, well, it's like we we've seen that. Like that's kind of an interesting thought by itself. There's like being denied something makes people want it more, regardless of how little sense it makes. Like sometimes the game is great, like Xenoblade, and sometimes like type Final Fantasy Type Zero. I warned you all. I want to say that you were all yeah. warned. Same thing with Final Fantasy Explorers, but that wasn't as big a torch. Yeah, I don't, I don't think people got... Like, people didn't have enough time to get too up in arms over the idea that we might not get that, and they, also, like... They little, did a little bit, but... Yeah. It, it was it was strange. Yeah. It, but, yeah, it was, it was also just like... 
Like, it was a Monster Hunter clone, which inherently, like... Like, regardless of whether it actually plays like Monster Hunter, it was definitely biting the Monster Hunter oh, yeah. uh, style, so... It was it was one of those things where like they couldn't go too far into like there was they, that already subsidizes it to a much smaller group of people. Remember, kids, friends don't let friends play Final Fantasy Explorers. But yeah, he's also anti. Uh, Budai says I'm also anti Kingdom Hearts, so opinions do vary. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. disagree, but like I, people have heard enough of me like waxing rhapsodic about how much. I adore everything about like Kingdom Hearts, both from the RPG and acti- action perspective. We don't need to do that again. Mm. Uh, he builds on the previous thing that I already mentioned. That well, he builds on the previous discussion about Ra- Legend Dragoon. From my head, with Legend of Dragoon was the battle system. The combos were so intense that by the time you learned one, you had a new one, and some boss battles would go on for literally thirty to forty-five minutes if you didn't know the new combo. Bending to heal over and over. I'm sure the game was funner for people who were good at the combos, but I wasn't one. Like, the thing is that even if you're... Like, the combos don't actually increase your damage output that much. <laughs> like, those later ones are really hard to pull off. They they get you a lot... They, ch- they tend to get you a lot more SP, but, like, they're... Like, they don't really help much. Like, and any given boss fight is still going to be super long. And yeah, a lot of them do rely on the fact, like, the game does have, like, the interesting mechanic that, like, guarding restores 10% of your HP. But, like, it knows that it has that mechanic and it abuses it. Oh, yeah, there's a, there's another thing that uh, is mildly obnoxious, which is that you can only hold 32 items at a time. Oh, that's stupid. And no items stack. Ugh. So, like, it's, yeah, it's weird. It's not, it's, it's a weird, it, it, again, it limits the combat a lot. So, like, there's just not much to it. But, yeah, like, uh, defending to heal over and over is, like, an intended strategy. Like, you submit that as a bug to the programmer, and they're, like, working as intended. <laughs> but, like, it's, yeah, like, you didn't miss much. Like the the later editions don't increase your damage output so substantially that boss fights aren't like interminably long. It really becomes more a question of can you hit the dragoon editions, which have the exact same timing for all of them to their credit, but are also pretty hard, and also just saving your MP to use like dragoon magic. So yeah, that's uh, that's kind of just sort of how Legend of Dragoon worked. Uh, uh, let's see. Another one from Budai. I have a feeling, Bravely Default, way undersold expectations. Well, it still has a lot of value. Walmart I just walked through had at least 10 or more copies in the bargain bin for 20 bucks. Dragon Quest Seven is also there for 20, at 20, but it was only two copies. You think people brought, bought Bravely Default on word of mouth? but didn't like it, therefore skipping the sequel. I, I assume he's talking about Bravely Second when he says that it way under yeah, expectations. I'm, I'm I have never positive. seen Bravely Default in a uh, Walmart. But, uh, yeah, I would not be surprised if, like, the zeitgeist just... It, it felt like the zeitgeist just wasn't there for Bravely Second. Yeah. Like, re- regardless of quality, like... Uh, so, so the next statement, I feel, should be read in tandem with this uh, from Strawberry Apes. 
Hi. Uh, there is a fair amount of backlash against Bravely Default due to everything between chapters 5 and 8. It's crying shame since Bravely Second improves upon almost everything in Default except for the music. Just wanted to get my two cents in since I can guess what the host will say about the series. <laughs> I, I would not generalize my opinions to Bravely Second because I have had people recommend that to me saying that it fixes some of the things I don't like about Bravely Default. So I, will, I can only speak for Bravely Default, which... Like my matters, uh, both of our opinions are pretty much like a matter of public record. I think we've been making fun of Bravely Default since basically the beginning of this podcast. Bravely Default. Like I think one of like our first handful of episodes is like a Bravely Default, like named one where we just dump on the game. Uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, I I would say that like it excitement's a fickle thing, and like Bravely Default was a game that like. I feel like a lot of people got partway through and then sort of had had enough. And, like, that doesn't necessarily reflect that they didn't like what they played, but, like, it's hard to think of, like, how many people... Like, unless you're a hardcore JRPG fan, which, uh, like, Bravely Default, I believe, probably, like, got enough of a zeitgeist behind it to attract some people who aren't super into JRPGs or just casual JRPG fans. And, like, it's hard to imagine a casual fan of JRPGs getting anywhere close to the end of Bravely Default and and thinking that they just ha- didn't have enough of that experience. <laughs> and it doesn't have the Final Fantasy name going for it, so... Yeah, like, it's, it's already, like, a weirdly named game. Yeah. <laughs> which isn't helping. But yeah, like, I, I, I can't speak for what uh, fuels, like, the fickle whims of consumers but i would imagine that like it was a really long game that a lot of people didn't finish and like i know at least a few people who might have been interested in bravely second but it was like ah but i should really go back and finish bravely default it's like because like it's such a long game and you feel like oh i should probably finish the one that i'm part way through and yeah it gets sort of sent by the wayside yeah maybe i'll pick up bravely second at some point when i see it in the bargain bin but like yeah. Uh, Strawberry Eggs also felt the need to pose a question. So, what two or more video game series would you like to see made into a crossover RPG a la Tokyo Mirage Sessions? That is, something more interwoven and complex than here's a bunch of characters from franchises you like, have them fight together or each other or both. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting because it like sort of relies on the idea of thematic resonance that a lot of games don't have. But then again, like, Fire Emblem and Shin Megami Tensei on the surface have no thematic resonance and still interwove surprisingly well, so... We should have uh, discussed this beforehand so that I could... Yeah. (sighs) Crossover RPG? We might have to come back to this in a future episode. Yeah, I think we should save this one for the future when we can... Yeah, because this more. this deserves a better answer than we can give off the top of our heads. Yeah, uh, I was gonna <laughs> this, s- this episode was uh, somewhat hastily planned, in case it's not clear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was going to say I did a quick look at prices for Bravely Second and Dragon Quest Seven, and on Amazon, and yeah. you know, Endlayer has a base price of like eighteen dollars for used copies, and Seven is still going in the thirties. And uh, I have seen Bravely Second on sale for clearance in, like, GameStop, so... 
it's also possible that they they might not have act, like it might not have even sold much le- much or at all less than the original it's just that That's the true. original's surprise success caused them to overproduce expecting yeah. a game over game growth yeah it's, it's quite possible and you know again on Dragon Quest 7 I just want to mention that you are seeing clearance copies of Dragon Quest a Dragon Quest game in Walmart you are seeing a Dragon Quest sale for game for, for sale I bungled that completely. A Dragon Quest sale in Walmart. A Dragon Quest game for sale in Walmart, which is kind of absurd in the in the yeah, itself. Getting, like getting Walmart to stock things is kind of the mark of mainstream in terms of video games because it's like, okay, a big box like the the big box chain is like, yeah, we figure enough people will buy this that we'll stock it at our normal like, you know, space is kind of at a premium for games there. Yeah. So. Uh, I mean, it's sad that it's on clearance. It's a lot to do with publisher outreach, but yeah. But it's there, and, you know, I've seen it in Target, not on clearance. I've seen it... I don't think I've actually seen it in GameStops. Yeah, well, GameStops never... Like, GameStops typically don't stock a lot of handheld games. Yeah. But, I I mean, it, it, it is kind of difficult to read a lot from just, like, anecdotal store experiences, because it could be... Pretty it could even just be that your store overordered. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like because a lot of times those in-store clearance prices are only for that store, and it may not be for you know yeah. all the stores. Yeah, like an individual store has to like sort of stock itself based on you know who knows what kind of analytic data, but like they still have to pull from the company database. It's yeah. probably incredibly complicated. So, you know, who knows? Um, I remember hearing something about Dragon Quest Seven possibly not selling all that well, but I mean, you know, I don't like, know how much like that sa- is true. sales compare. Like this, this also was like undersold. The the initial question was like undersold compared to expectations, which yeah. is harder to tell. Like it's difficult to tell what kind of expectations Dragon Quest Seven even had. There's there were probably fewer copies of Dragon Quest Seven shipped out than Bravely Second. Oh, for sure. But uh, continuing on that discussion, Budai brings up. I know Mike and Dave weren't big fans of Bravely Default, but I at least had a ton of fun hours wise with the battle system and the ability to set your own encounter rate. Yeah, I won't. I won't begrudge you that. Yeah. On a side note, while the repetition was bad thematically, I want all. I wasn't all that bothered by it because I just viewed it as a bunch of bosses to test my party out on. In a way, I sort of liked it because you spent a lot of time building a perfect team. I was happy to have a big test to put it through. Yeah, like I, I'm, I'm not, I can't, I'm not actually qualified to speak of the point where Bravely Default becomes repetitious because it had lost me before that. Yeah, and I think that's true of uh, Wheels as well. Yeah, it lost me pretty quickly. Yeah, and, you know, like, maybe one day I'll try it again, but I'd sooner probably just try second, because people have told me that that fixes some of my issues. <laughs> and for me, I'd sooner just uh, play Four Heroes of Light instead. <laughs> and as, a, as another as another tack on to that uh, statement, Gaijin chimed back in to mention, uh, he highlighted the ability to set your own encounter rate, and he just responded with, you realize how lucky you are to have that option, right? <laughs> But yeah, and Budai responded with, yeah, and I really uh, think that really helped during the parts where that had to be repeated. Random encounters would have made those sections a degree more tedious. Yeah, I'm very, I'm kind of curious to, like, see 
the opinions of someone who played both Bravely Default and Bravely Default for the sequel. Mm. And what a title! What a <laughs> for like, the sequel. Like all of the, the, it was like the entire franchise was built on the idea. What is the worst title imaginable? <laughs> like Bravely Default is the is one of those things where like. You know that thing that like sometimes gets brought up about localization, where you bring something, where like you say something that like these words mean those things, but no native speaker would ever say them that way. Yeah, because <laughs> bravely default is that. Like I remember reading previews for it. It's like, oh, why is it called bravely default? Well, you see, in the the idea is that you have the courage to abandon an unfair responsibility, and like the only time that you use default to refer to abandoning in, in in modern English parlance, at least in the US, is to refer to, like, abandoning a debt. Yeah. And, like, I suppose that kind of makes sense, but, it, like, it mostly is just associated with, like, bankruptcy. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, like, like, that's one of those situations... I remember talking to a guy who worked in localization while the tree... Ha- like, the... the uh, the uh, like we were IMing during the uh, Nintendo Direct where it was announced, and he just said, "I can't believe they're launching with that title." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was such a it's it was one of those things where like it, it would be fascinating to see like how opinions shifted on the game compared to like because like Bravely Default must have been fairly popular to begin with to get for the sequel made. Yeah. Like but I would I would be curious to see like what like what opinions were based on both original and for the sequel and like even if like I know that for the sequel not for the sequel, but Bravely Second had some issues in Japan where like it also it undersold there too. And like apparently that was in part due to fans being irritated at its script that apparently referenced a lot of Japanese memes. <laughs> but uh which, hey, if you thought only localizers did that, well, let me tell you. But, uh... Yeah, no, like... I'm curious, like, I, I'm given to understand that, like, the Bravely Default team is currently working on the announced so far for Switch uh, Octopath Traveler. Probably will release on many things, but... Octopath. Yeah, like, they're continuing that story... That, uh, that storied tradition of producing utterly insane titles but yeah octopath traveler like i'm interested in that because like octopath traveler had a really cute art style in that uh like uh like trailer they showed but like i'm also you know like i wasn't huge on bravely default so we'll call myself we'll call we'll call it cautiously optimistic which i think we can agree on that just sad it's not a weird sequel to octodad Octodad. <laughs> Nobody suspects a thing. Now, oh man, now I'm imagining like Octodad, but like on the Switch with added haptic feedback, so whatever your suction oh, cups got on, you would feel. <laughs> oh god, why? <laughs> Who's that man with the hard, hard beak? If you haven't played Octodad, please play Octodad. It is <laughs> hilarious and heartwarming. Like, a beautiful triumph of uh, 
video game as absurdism and video game as imposter syndrome metaphor. <laughs> Where else are you going to find that combination? Uh, it's it's beautiful. Like it it deserves credit for more than just being hilarious because it's also like oh like this is heartwarming and there's actual there's actual heart here. Uh, did you get that Octodad tie? I feel like you I did. did. I did. It's, it's glorious. Seriously, an Octodad tie. Yeah. Thank you, Limited Run. It's awesome. I'm so jealous of that. Uh, <laughs> man, I want an Octodad RPG. I'm not even sure how that would work. Oh man, I, Dark Souls, but with Octodad controls. <laughs> oh God, no. <laughs> The most impossible <laughs> game imaginable, and you just know there'd be one guy who'd finish it, and he would just be the most, like, obnoxious dirtbag about it. Just like, oh, well, you should get good then. Get good. Get good. Oh man, you become one of the like, if you if you successfully beat like Bloodborne or Dark Souls with the with the Octodad controls, you become one of the you gain too much of the the great knowledge the forbidden knowledge from Bloodborne and turn into a squid man. <laughs> uh, too much insight. Too much insight will put will put eyes on your brain. Uh, there, I've had my third good idea ever. Octodad controlled Dark Souls. I'd buy it for some reason. Nobody suspects a thing. But yeah, I think we've run ourselves out of questions that we can answer off the top of our yeah, heads. Yeah. I think this episode might be slightly shorter than usual. Not really. Slightly. <laughs> slightly. Yeah. It's going to gain another minute and a half in editing. How? Music. Oh, music, music, and one of the and all of that music will be Octodad. Nobody's better <laughs> thing. Yeah, I'm gonna have to do that now. Uh, it's it's one of the, my favorite video game theme songs. It's so good. Uh, well, we can brainstorm music later. Uh, thank you, everyone, for sending in questions. You are the lifeblood that keeps the podcast going, and yes. we appreciate every one of them. This episode not actually brought to you by Octodad, but by Octodad anyway. Yeah, brought to you by brought to you in part by viewers like you, though. It's true. I, I finally I can feel like a PBS. Viewers like Nihom Falcom. Man, we didn't even talk about some of the things we've both been playing, like Neo. Oh my God, Neo! Let's let's oh let's take God. some time because. We might as well. Oh my god! So Neo, so Neo is really good, actually. Yeah. And it's uh, one of the most. I I, I want to lecture a bit about it being the most tortured development. That's the most. True. Like announced before FF15. Hmm. As a traditional JRPG in development at Koei, uh, based on an unfinished Akira Kurosawa script, which. Would have been kind of spectacular if I believed anything about that script had survived into the current infer- incarnation. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, goes radio silent for a while. Uh, it was originally on PS2 to say to speak something of that. It was like announced in 2004. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Goes radio silent for a while. Then comes back under its current name, Neo, 
And I believe at that point, it's in development at Omega Force as a Dynasty Warriors type game. <laughs> like a, a Muso. Uh, disappears for a few years there. I would imagine that they probably ran into issues of like distinguishing it from Samurai Warriors at that point. Uh, disappears again. Uh, reappears on like a schedule in like 2012 uh, where it's maintain that Team Ninja has taken control of it. I'd bet dollars to donuts that there is a version of that there is a version of Neo in the Ninja Gaiden engine for testing purposes that ultimately goes nowhere. Uh, I believe it. And then finally emerges like uh, as a Souls style game. And a very good one at that. Yeah. And like technically quite sound. Surprising. Yeah. Like yeah, rock no, solid. It, runs, it runs butter smooth. Like controls real well. Like uh, arguably harder than Dark Souls, though. So you know. Yeah, that's got some Team Ninja in it for sure. It's mean as hell. Yeah. Um, but it kind of led me to the phrase, which I hope is true, which is Team Ninja got their groove back. Yeah, I I, I dream that like these two these two directors who have both directed things that I despise. Uh, like, in the past, one of them directed Ninja Gaiden 3, which is... Ugh, and one of them was the director of the Sigma games. But it seems like the two of them together, mixed with an unfamiliar style, balanced each other out a bit. So... Yeah. Like, I, I am hopeful that their next game will be... will continue this this trend. But Neo is, is very interesting. Like, its its mix of mythology and historical fiction is fascinating. Your main character is an actual person... Who is one of the the who is the first and one of only a handful of actual Western samurai? Like uh, that's that's basically where his historical similarities end. But uh, like I, I appreciate like it brings things to the the sort of Souls formula that are interesting. The uh, stance system is sort of it is vaguely reminds me of the trick weapon system of. Uh, Bloodborne, but in a different way because, like, the the core idea of your weapon never changes, but it really does fit different like purposes when you switch from like high, medium, and low stances. Mm. Uh, it, it sort of brings in like the the sort of devil trigger concept uh, that shows up in a lot of character action games, where like. You fight uh, long enough, you get like the ability to go into a sort of super mode. You have the living weapon mode uh, that can be very useful in a pinch. Kind of interesting. Yeah, I really like that, and especially against uh, stupid demons, demon things you have to fight on occasion. Yeah, or, well, it's nice because when you kill those, those tend to stay. Those tend to stay dead. So yeah. if you can, if you can get rid of it once, like that, that living weapon can. That one application of the living weapon system can save you from many fights to come because like you got rid of it once and it's never coming back yeah which is real nice uh the the key pulse is really difficult to get used to like i've i've still not completely gotten a handle on the rhythm for that yeah but like it's it's an interesting thing if you if you've ever played a souls game they're very they're built on stamina management where like you keep attacking and that attacking like drains your stamina and oh yeah there's a lot more punishment there's an extra punishment for getting hit when you're low on stamina oh yeah like that that has killed me a few times like 
if you're really low on stamina and you take a hit in Neo, you you cr- you sort of crumple. You're stuck. Like you can't move until enough of a certain amount of your stamina recovers. So you have to be very careful, like, even when you see an opening, not to go so into all-out attack mode that getting hit will destroy you. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, the key pulse is your, like, defense against that, where, like, if you can perfectly time, I think it's the R1 button. It is the R1 uh, button, yeah. If you can perfectly time hitting the R1 button after doing a string of attacks, like, right as you're finishing uh, your last attack, it recovers, like most of your stamina like it gives you a like if you're and it, it creates an interesting risk reward where like if you're really good you can go in just completely go to town nearly drain yourself of stamina hit that key pulse perfectly and then dodge back out yeah and it's really important because i feel like the stamina does not increase uh regenerate it, nearly as quickly as in the soul games I, ha- I haven't found a piece of equipment that increases stamina regen which is a big deal yeah uh, much like uh, I haven't used blocking much. I have no idea how effective it is. I feel like it bl- it drains your stamina. You don't have a it, separate shield, which is does. why I don't think block. it does drain the stamina. So I mean, if an enemy is blocking, you can just oh yeah, that is that is like a valid strategy is to just wail away at them because yeah. they will lose tons of stamina from blocking your attacks. Oh yeah, that's that's the thing. It's very obvious that the enemies have actual stamina meters. Yeah. What I really like about it is just the dodging. Yeah, it feels real good. Uh, it, it does have like thresholds, like uh, like the Souls games, but they're like weight thresholds where you have uh, if you're more encumbered, your dodge changes. But they're not as obvious as like the fat roll in Dark Souls. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, but yeah, like I, I've done. I know that I've become comfortable with the dodging system the first time that I intentionally dodged through an attack, which I did fairly quickly. I love invincibility frames. Uh, They're so great. But yeah, no, it's it's real good if you're if you want if you feel like you want some sort of soulsy kind of game, but like a little more actiony, like a little faster, a little like more uh, aggressive then Neo is your game. Yeah. And, it, yeah, like I said, it gives me some hope for Team Ninja. Uh, when eventually a Ninja Gaiden 4 is announced, I will not just roll my eyes at it. Yeah. Ninja Gaiden 3 and Razor's Edge, which is better but still garbage, did not... <sighs> Those games hurt. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. And maybe, yeah. maybe you know, since they do, they're all under the same roof. Maybe they'll just make them uh, do an Atelier Ninja Gaiden crossover. Like how I'm about we do? Uh, how about we do Atelier uh, Atelier Musso? They're already appearing in Musso All Stars. Yeah, so I I feel like that's already. I don't know. That's quite enough. Yeah. Why is Guitaru Man not in Musou All-Stars? <laughs> it's, I, I honestly feel like the the character action genre, I could picture like an action level where you're going around and like doing gathering. And like yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe the a gathering point takes time, so you have to look around and see if you have to have time to do it before more enemies show up and things like that. It could be really cool. Yeah. 
totally insane and not make much sense in the scope of the series, but whatever. Oh, of course. Uh, I, I feel like I should point out Neo's main character is in uh, Muso Stars. Wow, that was quick. Yeah. Well, they, they saw the writing on the wall. Yeah, they really kind of pumped up the uh, advertising near the end there. Yeah, I feel like it probably was one of those things where, like, Sony partnered with them, and they probably, like, when they saw that the game was turning out well, it's like, well... Yeah. <laughs> Gotta push it. Other things we won't be able to talk about, because by the time this goes up, it will probably be out, but I don't think either of us is playing it anytime soon. Horizon Zero Dawn. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to play that. Oh, so you are playing that. Um, no. Not yet. <laughs> no, that's not out till next week. Oh, I thought it was uh, I thought it was out the 21st, not no, the 28th. It's, it's the 28th. Oh, okay. Well then, so, never mind. Disregard previous statement. Yeah, so um, it's... I feel bad that it's coming out right before Zelda. Yeah, it seems, seems like a bad time, but also not a bad time, because... Some people are going to want to play something that plays like Zelda on their PS4. And some people are simply not going to be able to get... The Which new is... system required to play Zelda, and well, they can get the old system to play Zelda. Yeah, no. Let's get that expansion. Pa- no, no. Like there, there's only one thing that would ever compel me to, uh, because I'm, I was, I was birthed in the crucible of the, of the internet, and I'm thus an irony monster. Uh, the only thing that would compel me to play Zelda on Wii U is the chance to get the expansion pass and have Link wear the Switch shirt on the Wii U version. <laughs> Because that's just dumb enough. Yeah. I love that, like, like I was curious if that was actually the case, and then I read the pl- press release, and it's like, yes, all of these things are in both versions. <laughs> now, if you'll excuse me, I have this this FF7 remake screenshot to look at and just sort of giggle it because I'm really happy to see the Guard Scorpion. Like, I saw, like, they, they released two new screenshots, and I see the Guard Scorpion, and I'm like, oh, he's back! Even before, like, he's covered in explosions, and, like, I didn't even bother reading the Kalakana up at the top that's like, God, oh, Scorpion. <laughs> but, like... Can't wait for that. But, like, just seeing it, it's like, oh, it's the Guard Scorpion, I love that fight. I'm looking forward to Barrett lying to me again. <laughs> Speaking of historic, terrible, terrible localization, you know what's the word, how you know you've miserably failed at your job? It's when you translate a hint wrong. Yep. You translate a hint such that it is the exact opposite. Ugh. Which means that sadly they probably will not find. There's probably no way for them to localize in Barrett mistaking it. Yeah. But it sure would be funny. Ah, uh, that's gorgeous. Okay, we've we've rambled a lot after finishing questions. I apologize. Yeah. It's normal. Like wheels on Twitter. That's right. I'm S wheels on Twitter. Dave is at Fanboy Master. Yeah. Um, I feel like I had another thought, but I've lost it. Uh, I don't know. You can tell them all about your, I don't know, Friendster. The heck is Friendster? Friendster is a really old social network. Oh, like, God. 
pre-MySpace social network. Oh, um, my first the first episode of my year playing Atelier should be up. Oh yeah, that's not before. by the time this goes up. Probably the end of, end of this. It will be up before the end of February. I know that. Uh, and then it'll probably be once or twice twice a month for the remainder of the year. And yeah, we'll like, uh, yeah, those will those be good articles, <clears throat> I'm assuming, which means that, uh, you know, please don't make a liar out of me, Wheels. <laughs> well, one of them's going to be talk about my time with uh, Manic... Oh, God, Manichemia, Chimia... Monochemia. Kumia. It's, it's like K-H-E-M-I-A, so I'm going to go with Chemia. The one on PSP. There's two of this those. There's two Monochemias on PSP, by the way. Yeah, the one on PSP that we got. Okay, I'm looking at the Katakana, and it's Monochemia. Okay, Monochemia. So that's fun. Monochemia. Thanks. And yeah, God, freaking that's coming out in March, too. God damn it. March is going to, like, <sighs> video, video game you out of house and home. Yeah comes out in March. Oh, I don't want to like it's near for me. It's 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 Zelda. Like I can I can tell you. I can like Zelda. luckily like a lot. What Zelda? Yeah, Atelier. Zelda and a Switch. Near, er, near too far. <laughs> like uh, a bunch of Switch games. Like maybe I'll finally play. I am Setsuna. Meh. Uh, I don't know. Pretty good to try. Uh, what was the one that like GameStop is publishing? I'm gonna try. Uh, I keep wanting to say Half Minute Hero, and it's not Half Minute. Hero. Yeah, that seems unlikely. <laughs> has been Hero. Has been Heroes. Yes, has been Heroes. Oh yeah, March's Mass Effect Andromeda. I'm going to die. Oh God. Rock Band VR comes to Oculus. Tweak it in dose. Tokidun. Tokidun. Tweak it in dose. I want to, like... (laughs) Like, I'm... Like, the end of our friendship is going to be, like, the the scene where Alan Rickman is, like, thrown off the building in Die Hard. Like, that is... That that will be... Oh, there's also a Dark Souls 3 DLC. Meh. Don't care. Wow. Harsh. You got Neo for that. Yeah. Neo has replaced Dark Souls 3 in my heart. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the frickin' friendship ended with joke. <laughs> friendship <laughs> ended with the with Dark Souls. Now Neo is my best friend. Okay. That's uh, that's probably the Did you already run. say Kingdom Hearts in March? Uh well there's a re release of one and a half and two and a half yeah. in March. Which I have to get, because I just got rid of my PS3 copies. That's a wise choice. I can't get rid of my PS3 copies, because my because they are part of a really nice collector's edition that came with a giant, like, plush shadow. Oh, I had that one, too. I, I traded in the discs only. Oh, wise choice. Yes. You're just gonna put, are you just going to put the... the oh, new, yes. The new, yeah. Oh, yes. I may actually take, I may actually take a 2.8 out of its case and put it in there, too. It wouldn't surprise me because I would imagine one and a half and two and a half are on one PS4 disc because I don't think they're sold separately. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. The only uh, HD collection I've seen that has done that is Batman. 
Yeah. But those were already, but those were already huge. One of them was huge. Maybe both of them were huge. I don't know. Kind of big boys. Yeah, but I doubt. Yeah, I, I doubt. Especially because they like retextured that entire game, which probably yeah. blew file size. Uh, this is really far afield. Hello, goodbye, everyone. It was nice talking. Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna stop recording before we keep talking. We'll see you next time. Comments and thread. Um, we love you. Play Atelier. <laughs> Bye, East. Friendship um, ended with wheels. Now Legend of Zelda is my best friend. Uh, Vesperia PS3 is still terrible. Goodbye. Oh, harsh.